What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Welcome to you. Thank you for taking the time to tune in again this week. We just finished up our Easter weekend here at Hinterland Baptist Church on the Gold Coast of Australia. Uh, It was a big week for us. I'm frankly a bit tired from it all, but I thought I'd share with you some of the things that we talked about on Sunday. Um, When I was doing some research and study for Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday morning, we had a couple services. We had Easter Friday, we had Easter Sunday, and then we had a meetup at the beach as well for sunrise on Easter Sunday morning. But When I was doing some research and some study for uh, Easter Sunday, I was looking through the lines of old hymns, and there's a hymn called Fos Haleron, and here's a line from that hymn. It says, Worthiest art thou at all times to be sung, Son of our God, giver of life alone. Therefore, in all the world, thy glory's thine own. Very poetic hymn. That is the, I believe, the oldest known Christian hymn, and it is from the third century AD, so it's not exactly a contemporary hit. It's been around for a bit of a while. Um, We know that for followers of Jesus, music has been an integral part of worship and church um, gatherings, even even before the third century, even before what we know as recorded music today. And when we read about Jesus and when he instituted the um, ordinance of communion, for instance, uh, one of the passages that records that says that the disciples afterwards sang a hymn. So we know that um, music has been a part of Christianity since the very beginning of Christianity. Even before Jesus was born, God's people made music a major part of worship the book of Psalms in the Old Testament are a lot of psalms or songs that David wrote to be used in temple worship. There are um, several passages in the the Bible that are actually songs that were sung uh, by the person who was being recorded. And Christianity throughout history has put a lot of effort, a tremendous amount of effort into developing music um, as well as poetry, art, Um, a lot of artistic expression involved in the worship of God. And that's still the case today. A time of worship in church, um, if your church is anything like mine, involves it involves fellowship, it involves teaching and encouragement, and of course, music. And good worship music can do all of those things. Uh, It can encourage fellowship, it can encourage people, it can teach as much as a good sermon. And God's people have been worshiping God with music for a very long time, thousands of years. And they've done so through music, through art, through poetry, and of course, Bible teaching. And our passage today is one I don't think necessarily that Paul intended to be poetic. I don't know, maybe he did. But to me, um, as it's translated into the English language, it is a very poetic passage. And that passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. We're going to read that today. 
first, second Corinthians, sorry, chapter two, verses 14 through 17. This is what it says. It says, now thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and through us reveals the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God a sweet fragrance of Christ among those who are saved and among those who perish. To the one, we are the fragrance of death, which brings death. To the other, the fragrance of life, which brings life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many are who peddle the word of God. Instead, being sent by God, we sincerely speak in Christ in the sight of God. Second Corinthians um, chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now, to give you kind of a, a really brief introduction, the theme of the book of Second Corinthians is the ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation between um, God and us and us and other people. And that's what Paul was writing about in the book. And as Paul writes this particular passage, he's actually in a time of personal unrest. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But if we start off today by going back to the very beginning of the Bible, in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, we read about creation. We read about the Garden of Eden, a place and a time where people enjoyed perfect fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with each other in a perfect place, which is pretty amazing to think about. But as the scripture says, as we read on through the book of Genesis from the beginning, humans transgressed the boundary God set. And because of that, we lost all of those things, the perfect fellowship, the perfect place, the perfect fellowship with each other. Not only did we lose them, but with that loss, strife, struggle, and death then became part of life. And I believe it's part of our human nature that we have a very deep-seated desire to return to that place of perfect fellowship that we once enjoyed with God. Um, the perfect place, the perfect fellowship, all of that comes along with it. And people imagine and manifest that in multiple different ways. And I would say that many of our cultural and social struggles that we face today um, are the result of a disagreement on how we manifest that desire to turn back to once we what we once had with God. I think um, most people, when it comes to social and cultural issues, even though there's different sides and they certainly disagree on um, the issues, I think most people come from a place of wanting to make an improvement. And when you really look into it, you can see that in the different ways people approach things like social justice and climate change and just political and social issues in general and all of the different perspectives on those issues. Now, there's obviously a, a lot of major disagreement on those issues, but the people who are making the different claims, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, I think they are coming from a place where they think that if their ideas were implemented, uh, cultural, social change, whatever, that the world would become a better place. And I think that stems from that very deep-seated desire to return to that perfect place in the garden 
that human beings once enjoyed, where we had perfect fellowship with God and we had perfect fellowship with each other. Everyone wants what's best. We just can't agree on what best is. And the specific views people hold on those issues are irrelevant to this point. They are human attempts to recreate what was lost in the garden. We want to make the world better. We want to make it perfect. But the Bible is very clear that we are sinful people and that we're incapable of doing that. That sin is the thing that separates us from God and makes us incapable of returning to the garden and recreating it. Because of sin, we're broken. And not only is that true for human beings, that's usually what we talk about when we talk about sin as people, but also creation around us is broken. That's something we sometimes forget. Every form of life on this planet, whether it's an animal, tree, plant, whatever it might be, including you and me, is inevitably being drawn back to the dust from which we came. Um, Everything dies eventually. And there's nothing you and I can do about that. We can't fix that. We can't change that. And as a result of that, we rightly fear death. We're afraid to die. Anybody who's a sensible person is afraid of death. And we desperately desire to see things return to how they once were in the garden. A perfect place of perfect fellowship with God and each other without fear, without strife, without struggle, without death, without sorrow. That desire is not limited to Christians. The entire human race has that desire to return to that perfect place, even if they don't understand what it is or the very deep reasons behind it. There are many ways people manifest that desire. It's not an evil desire. It's a good God-given desire to want to have that perfect fellowship with God. When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when he is your Redeemer, you know that eventually God's going to make all things new again. That's part of basic Christian teaching. And a Christian lives in confident expectation of that, knowing that someday God's going to fix all this. He's going to make things new. We're going to be in perfect fellowship with him, with each other in heaven forever. A new heaven, new earth, a resurrected body, life as God intended it to be. And we're all looking forward to that. And when you listen to the words, of the music Christians sing in worship. It is a recognition of these things. It is the praise and the worship of the one who makes it possible. And that's how Christians worship. And that's why Christians worship. But Christians are not the only people who worship. I sincerely believe that all people worship. Everybody worships something. Not everyone worships God, but they worship something. And if it's not God, It's something he created. The Apostle Paul talks about that in uh, the book of Romans in chapter 25, where he says they returned or they turned the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Many people worship a part of creation. And a lot of people are going to say, no, I don't worship, but I kind of think you do. And here are my thoughts on how and why that happens. God has set a perfect standard. And all of creation falls short of that standard. The world is broken. People are broken. We're sinful. We fall short of God's perfect standard. God's standard transcends all of time, all of creation. Now, 
as we take another step into that, the word sin in the New Testament is translated from a Greek word that means to miss the mark, to fall short of the standard, to miss the mark. Let's say you're playing your favorite sport. You're aiming for a goal. You're trying to hit the mark, whether it be goalposts, a finish line, a net. There's a marker that defines the goal. And the biblical definition of sin is like you're trying for that goal, but you're always missing it. And that's what we say. The mark is God's standard. We always miss it. It can be illustrated as archery. It can be illustrated as playing darts or throwing a rock at a can, missing it. You're missing the mark. Or maybe you're someone who would relate better to um, attempting to play a piece of music very well, perfectly even. There's a mark or a goal that is to be achieved. And because of sin, all of creation, you and me, and everything around us is off that mark. And we never can quite hit it. We never can quite be what God created it to be. We deeply desire, though, to see that mark achieved. We deeply desire to see someone achieve that standard. We deeply desire to achieve that standard ourselves. We want to see the world. We want to see each other. We want to see ourselves as God created us to be, as he intended us to be. Now, how does that manifest itself in people? That's the question. Well, I've got some ideas on that as well. What happens at a sporting event or a concert when a player crosses the goal line or a band plays everyone's favorite song? What does everybody do? Everybody jumps up and shouts and cheers and sings along. And that's a religious worship experience. That's worship. That's what it is. It's not Christian worship, but it's religious worship. It's the expression of adoration, praise, and celebration. That's what worship is. And everyone at the event does it together in fellowship, at least the ones who are supporting the winning team. But it's the worship of something created, not the creator. Now, I'm not saying if you're a Christian that you shouldn't go to ball games and concerts and things like that. That's just not sensible. That's not what I mean. But I'm just saying that everyone worships something. It's an illustration of that. And like Paul says, they worship and serve the creature or the creation instead of the creator. Here's why we do that. We want to go back to that perfect place of perfect fellowship with God and each other. We long to see that. We have a very deep-seated desire for that. When we see an athlete do something incredible, or we see a musician play a piece of music that's just beautiful. We get so excited about that because we see a glimpse of what it might look like if we were to not miss the mark, if we were actually to achieve God's standard, what it would look like if things were the way God created them to be. That's why we get so excited about that. What a world might what a world without sin might look like. And when that happens, it's celebrated together in fellowship, at least for the people who are supporting the winning team anyway. And something similar can be said for a beautiful work of art, a fantastic work of art. We're fascinated by things that are beautiful and created almost perfectly. 
a glimpse of what it might look like if creation were the way God intended it, if creation wasn't missing the mark. And we share that love and we share that fascination with others. And do you see in what I'm talking about, the picture of perfect fellowship in a perfect place? Humans are desperate for that. All of us are desperate for that. So much so that people will pay incredible amounts of money to experience that, to, to possess a little tiny piece of it, to get a little glimpse of what that might be like. How much will someone pay for a work of art? Many of the most expensive works of art have Christian themes. I was looking in, um, at how much some different pieces of art had sold for, and the most expensive is Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi. Translated in English, that means uh, savior of the world. It's Leonardo's, Leonardo da Vinci's artistic interpretation of what Jesus looked like. And it sold for 453 million US dollars, 450.3 million US dollars. That's, that's a crazy amount of money for a piece of art. How much will people pay for prime seating at a concert? How much people will people pay for uh, prime seating at a sporting event? We want to see our team win. We want to be a glimpse of that perfection. We long to see a victory. We want to see evil overcome. We want to see it defeated. Uh, in the movie, The Two Towers, when it looks like Helm's Deep is lost, and they remember you know, Gandalf said, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. And then we see that there's a scene. We see Gandalf at the top of the hill on the white horse and he rides down with uh, his army and he saves Theoden and his army. And then Theoden shouting, victory, victory, we have victory. And I look at that and I think, wow, that, that reminds me a lot of Revelation chapter 19. There's symbolism. There is that, you see that desire for that victory, that desire for that return to perfect fellowship with God all over the place when you start looking for it. And I'm not up implying that these things are direct parallels at all. What I'm implying is that humans have an innate desire to see a victory that achieves something meaningful, that overcomes evil and doesn't miss the mark, but hits it, but achieves it. We long for a perfect place of perfect fellowship with God and each other. We long to see that restored. It's ingrained in us and we can't help it. That's why everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. You know, a lot of people say, I don't worship, but I don't know. You probably do when you really think about it and you're very honest with yourself about it. You worship something and it's either the creator or it's something he created. But everything in creation falls short. It misses the mark, it fades, it dies. Um, it comes to an end. But a Christian sees worship differently. We have a different perspective on worship. We worship a God who has made a way for us to gain back what was lost, a place that will not fade or fail with time where there is no death, uh, there is no sorrow, a place where we worship the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What Jesus has achieved is not a small temporary glimpse of what used to be. He has opened the way 
for you and me to participate in his perfection. Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The resurrected son of God who has achieved victory over death, over hell, over the grave. And he offers forgiveness and the gift of eternal life, access to himself in a perfect place where we can share in perfect fellowship with him and with each other. And he is worthy of our worship. In Christian worship, we express adoration and praise and celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. And do you know what's crazy? At least it's crazy to me, is someone out there is always saying, I don't want that. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want that. And when Paul writes what he does in our passage today, he's in a time of personal arrest, you know, and he's thinking about who he is on what he does and the struggles that come with that, you know, where you can really only speculate about what he's thinking, but God has called him to preach the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He's treated in a variety of ways for doing that. Sometimes he's welcomed. Sometimes he's beaten and left for dead and everything in between. He's seen people both fully accept Jesus and he's seen people both fully reject Jesus. And that's not an easy thing to understand for someone who knows Jesus. It's it's hard to understand why when it comes to Jesus, what he's done, the gospel message that he's paid for sin on the cross, then if you accept that gift that he's offering you, you receive forgiveness and eternal life. And it's it's hard to explain why exactly someone would reject that. And then at the same time, well, it's kind of hard to explain, I suppose, why some people so willingly and freely accept it. And theologians have tried to come up with different ways to explain that over time. But Paul says this, he says, to those who have a saving knowledge of Christ, the words we speak are like a sweet fragrance. And the word fragrance is used a few times in this passage. And one of the ways it's used is a sweet fragrance, like a garland of flowers, like a garden. And if someone were to ask you, what do you think life smells like? What would you say? How would you answer that question? What does life smell like? Now, if I were to equate a fragrance to life, I would say it would be the fragrance of a garden. Maybe that's why people like to visit gardens and get married in gardens. A garden smells like life. It's the aroma of things that are beautiful and fresh and alive. And to those who know Christ, the words of the gospel have the aroma of life. This is good. I want more of it. I often walk up the path outside of our church here and there's some uh, lavender out there and there's some roses and I'll run my hand through the lavender and smell it and then I'll, I'll, I'll smell the aroma of the roses. And that's what the words of life, of the gospel, that's the aroma that they have to a believer, to a follower of Jesus. Now, there's also the other side of this that Paul mentions in our passage. Those who don't know Christ, to those who are perishing, he says, the words of the gospel are the fragrance of death. If you were asked what death smells like, well, that's a much easier question. And Paul says that to the one who is perishing, the words I speak are the fragrance of death. The gospel is a fragrance of life to those who believe 
and death to those who reject Jesus, like the stench of a grave. Because in rejecting the gospel, the words of the gospel have the aroma of death, the fragrance of a tomb that is not empty. Because rejecting Jesus means death, eternal separation from God and hell. And one of the words Paul uses for fragrance in this passage can mean either one or the other. The same fragrance can be the aroma of life to one or the stench of death to another, depending on who experiences the fragrance. Christ suffered and died on the cross for our sins according to the scripture, and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. That is the message of the gospel. Do these words have the aroma of the garden of life or grave of death? Are they words of life or are they words of death? What they are to you depends on what you do with Jesus. The world is broken. We are sinful, but through Jesus, we can be forgiven. The only sin that won't be forgiven is rejecting God's son, Jesus. One final and brief thought from verse 17, last one in our passage today, which says, for we are not as many are who peddle the word of God. Instead being sent by God, we sincerely speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul says, I'm not a merchant. We're not trying to peddle the word of God to people. We're not trying to sell something here. And here's what he means by that. Now, a peddler, at least a good one, a merchant, is going to do one of two things. He's going to try to find what you want and sell it to you, or he's going to try to convince you that you want what he has. Either way, he wants to sell you something. Paul says, I'm not a salesman. I'm preaching the gospel. Here it is you have to decide what you're going to do with it. The preaching of the gospel is either the sweet aroma of life or it is the stench of the grave. The words are the same. The aroma is the same. How it is perceived is not the same. Whether it's the aroma of a garden of life or a grave of death is determined by your decision to accept or reject Jesus the risen son of God as your savior. Without Jesus, there is no garden, no aroma of life, only death and only the grave. And in that, you have to think about what is your decision? Will you turn to Jesus and experience life? Because without Jesus, the words of the gospel are the aroma of death. I'm gonna leave you with that thought. Something to think about. What's your decision? Will you turn to Jesus and experience life or will you reject him and experience death? Well, thank you for taking the time to listen in. As always, I appreciate you. And give us a like, follow, share. If you think uh, this might be helpful for someone else, share it with them. And I'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 